welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show dedicated to those who make healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technology that makes the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and I'm the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, I'm bringing you the news to know for the week of June 30th. And wanted to say a little apology for missing last week. I was on vacation. I took, sort of took a week off. We still managed to find some way to get some work in there. And I did a podcast with Bill Russell, and that's going to be aired on Tuesday on his show, which is This Week and Health IT. We did a back and forth covering a couple of news items, just his equivalent of news to know. And it's a really good episode. We have a good banter back and forth. Check it out. That's Bill Russell, This Week in Health IT. It's a great show. I've got about six or seven stories on tap today. Let's see what we can get through. So the first comes out of Becker's Hospital Review, Friday, June 26. Burnout at record high for many primary care physicians, a survey finds. Nearly half of primary care physicians reported that their burnout is at an all-time high, largely due to the financial pressures caused by COVID-19. This was the Larry A. Green Center and Primary Care Collaborative, and they surveyed 763 practicing physicians in 49 states. And the responses were across a broad range of primary care specialties. And here's the five things that they found. Number one is 44% of respondents reported high levels of personal burned out burnout and 48% reported high levels of office burnout. 36% said their physical well-being had suffered while 45% said that their psychological state has declined. 63% of respondents said they've had severe or near severe stress levels in the last four weeks. And over a quarter of the respondents said that they skipped or deferred their salaries. I'm going to dovetail this in with a, another article also from Becker's, which is that Primary care practices could take a 15 billion hit this year due to COVID-19, and that's roughly $67,000 per full-time position. So it uh, highlights in this article the vulnerability of primary care practices to financial demise due to fee-for-service and visit-based payment policies. And for those of you who aren't in touch with primary care practices, when the COVID-19 shutdown started, patients stopped coming into the office, and independent primary care practices struggled to get up telehealth, and even still, they were not able to do the same volume that they were doing. And many of them had to lay off their medical assistants or their office managers. Basically, if you don't generate revenue, you are expendable in healthcare. And as CMIOs, I want you all to know this, because we can help in the EMR with highlighting the need for preventative services that are due, that patients should be getting done, and now can do. The offices are open. And so using the data that's in the EHR, let's proactively reach out to patients, have them come in. I'm not saying we do this to help boost the revenue of primary care practices. I'm saying we need to do it because now there's access. And there hasn't been access in primary care for a long time. And suddenly that paradigm has shifted and we have an opportunity to deliver care that we know is evidence-based best practice. And as CMIOs, we can help influence that through the, uh, through the EMR and through data analytics. 
the burnout piece, just to touch on that, well, it's the first time I've ever read a burnout article, and it's not blaming the EHR. It's now blaming finances, and I get that. The financial pressures are significant here. I personally have heard stories of less burnout, so I'm a little confused by this article. Yes, it's the financial pressure, but for the first time in a long time, physicians are telling me that they feel valuable, that when there's these signs up that say, thank you to our frontline workers, and there's some of those frontline workers, they, they definitely feel a sense of pride in what they're doing again. A lot of them had lost that. To be honest, a lot of that is on the inpatient side. I'm getting that from hospitalists. I'm getting it from pulmonary critical care providers. In primary care, they're not necessarily stepping into that first line role in the hospital in the same way. So they may not be getting that boost to their esteem that we're seeing in other specialties. Next, also out of Becker's Hospital Review, AI-EHR combo may be the new way that patients select caregivers. And this was also on Friday, June 26. Many patients currently rely on friendly recommendations and online rating systems to choose their healthcare providers. However, each patient's needs and experiences are significantly different, so these methods often lead to patients unsatisfied with their caregivers. EHRs house vast amounts of data on physicians, and using AI, they are mining this data to predict outcomes and draw comparisons between patients. AI can also intervene when referral patterns are broken, recommending a better uh, option. I have always thought that the way patients pick physicians is horrible. And if there was a match.com type approach using algorithms, basically, it would be significantly better. But I don't think it's EHR data that drives this. I think if a physician says, look, I like to read the New England Journal of Medicine and I stay up to date with the absolute latest research on osteoporosis, that's a physician that if those are things that interest you, then you're going to choose that type of physician as opposed to the one that says, you know, I have a very general interest in all things and I'm really into photography as a hobby. That's a much different provider, I think. And that if you're into photography, you may find a bond and finding that bond with your physician is critical. So keep your eye on the space. I'm interested. I think we'll see more of this. I think we'll see artificial intelligence playing a role eventually in matching patients to the right physician. More to come. Next, the American Association of Family Practice Innovation Lab is recruiting 100 physicians to pilot EHR voice assistants, also Friday, June 26th in Beckers. And this was a news release from AAFP. The program is seeking participants that are going to use Suki's voice-enable artificial intelligence powered digital assistant for up to 30 days and then be interviewed afterwards about their experience. Suki uses AI and machine learning technologies to help clinicians complete administrative tasks such as documentation or retrieving information in an EHR. This is part of a 42-month project and they're now approaching the second stage. The first phase, I guess, was like a proof of concept. Now they're going to expand to test more EHR systems, such as Epic and PowerChart, in addition to Athena Health. Interviews with physicians after stage one showed that Suki decreased documentation time by 
62% and improved physician satisfaction with time needed to use the EHR for other administrative tasks by 84%. So what's my take? You're seeing more of this. Nuance has a product, Emodal has a product. There's a ton of startups in this space, all doing valuable things, such as using artificial intelligence to reduce the documentation burden on providers. This is really key. If you go back probably almost a year ago in my podcast, Dr. Eric Topol, I interviewed him and he bashed the EHRs because he would, I guess he had just gone through like 20 or 24 hours of training that he needed to do to get up on Epic as one of the requirements that they had to go through. And he was furious and frustrated and hated the clicks. And he knew that this AI technology is out there. It exists. It's working in other countries. And so it's about time. Interesting that this is the a family practice approach. Interesting who this is coming from. The American Academy of Family Physicians. I didn't know that they had an innovation lab, that they were doing things like this. Wonderful. Typically, you see these things being done by startups. I'm sure there is going to be a way to monetize this for the American Academy of Family Physicians. And if you are on Athena Health and you are a single practitioner out there, this kind of resource is really important to you. You may not have it, uh, the pay epic module and all the cost that comes with that, unless you're part of a huge health system. So keep your eye on this space. More to come on this. And I am sure that this is the direction healthcare is going to be moving to to release that documentation burden. Next article comes out of Healthcare IT News, June 26, by Bill Sawicki. Graham Healthcare saves time and money integrating Salesforce, EHR, alerts, and communication tools. And just a quick quote from the CEO, they knew that integration could help them find a sweet spot to best leverage the data they already have so data can reach the right people at the right time. And so they engaged with a third party vendor to integrate three different systems. And that was uh, Salesforce, Patient Ping, and Connect America. And then finally, they did connect to their EHR, which is home care home base. So Connect America is an alert system for nurses that detects patient falls at home and sends medical alerts. If you're old enough as I am to remember the iPhone and I can't get up commercial, that's what this sounds like. And they've been able to integrate that into Salesforce so that a real-time notification goes to the care team when a patient falls. Streamlines the workflow, makes logging the incident instantaneous is what they say. A patient ping sends real-time notification to care providers whenever one of their patients receives alert, uh, care at another facility. So they're getting an ADT information, I assume. And it's designed with post-acute care in mind, where patients move between multiple providers in short amount of time. When one of Graham's patients gets admitted to a facility within the patient paying network, care managers at Graham receive the notification directly in the patient's record in Salesforce. So it sounds to me like Salesforce is the integration centerpiece here. And I always wondered how people did population health without a CRM like Salesforce. You need that customer as a customer relation uh, database if uh, management system, if you're not familiar with them. And these things are vital for understanding what's been going on with your patient, who touched them last, who's reached out, what do they do for? And this is a key population health tool that many health systems have, and they have it for their marketing team. 
not for their population health team. The EHRs have weak attempts at this. Most actually don't try to get into it. I know Epic has a pretty uh, novice attempt, nowhere near the firepower of something like Salesforce. So the ability to integrate this Salesforce with their EHR, which I talk about uh, as the next step here, that's home care. Home base is their EHR that's designed for home care and hospice. That's really critical. If you want to do post-acute care well and population health, you've got to have the ability to understand what tasks are next due for that case manager. And it has to be an incredibly efficient tool. Now, I don't know that Salesforce is that. And I do know there are third-party products out there that are designed specifically for case management to make them hyper-efficient. The uh, CEO said here that they were able to um, save more than $300,000 by improving care coordination, cutting down on readmissions, and reducing time spent on manual data entry, and ultimately that reduced costs. Now, that's a soft return on investment. There's not $300,000 now sitting in the bank that they can go and spend. It sounds like they were saving time. Now, cutting down on readmissions might be valuable if they're in a risk kind of relationship, which most home care agencies are not, and I suspect that's, that's who Graham is. So I love the integration piece, though. I think it's really important, and we should be doing that. We should be integrating with CRM and with outreach tools that notify the various parts of the care team. Right now, if someone got admitted to our hospital and they were being followed by a home health care agency, the home health care agency has no way of knowing it. And therefore they have no way of doing any outcomes, measurements, and knowing whether they're effective in what they do. It's really important that we get this done. Next up is out of Moby Health News. This is from June 26. Circadia Health's contactless respiration rate monitor receives 510K clearance. That's the FDA clearance. And this is interesting. So London-based startup, Circadia Health, announced that it received its clearance. This is a bedside device that can be used either at home or in the hospital. It measures respiratory rate via radar in adult patients up to four feet away. It also evidently monitors sleep, sleep quality and motion type events. I think that's really too interesting for two reasons. Number one, there's another line in the article here that says that the FDA has rolled out the red carpet for remote vital sign monitors such as respiration rate and breathing frequency. And I think we'll see more of this in a response to COVID-19. They are trying to get the whole monitoring tools, remote patient monitoring out into the community. And I think that this is another nice to have peripheral. I'm not quite sure how it's saving lives in the ambulatory area, but I guess if someone's at home and their respiratory rate is 36, that is definitely going to give you more data and combined with other vital signs may very well be enough for you to make an intervention uh, at the right time. Home health care agencies will always tell you the respiratory rate is 16. And in the hospital, the respiratory rate is always 16 unless you're in the ICU where you have one of the respiratory monitors on. That's, that's Those are not touchless. Those are obviously wired. and I maybe it's 18 in your hospital, but you get the point. The ability to get vital signs without having to touch the patient and have it be accurate, that's interesting stuff. And I think that's the future. I really like that.
want to touch on a telehealth article because you can't report the news these days without doing a telehealth article. And this one is pretty simple. Uh, out of Fierce Healthcare, CMS upcoming Medicare payment rule to include permanent telehealth expansion. And this is by Heather Landy, June 25th. And this was announced at the American Telehealth Association conference that uh, has been going on. And what they're gonna do is that in the physician fee schedule rule, which typically publishes in July, that they are going to put in this rule the payment mechanisms for telehealth. And so that's what's new. We've always hoped that this was gonna happen and Congress was getting interested in there's some, there certainly are some bills out there that are making their way. But if CMS puts this into their payment program, then if they do it so that there's parity of office visit with virtual visit, telehealth will survive and it will thrive. Last article, this is a really great article and I highlight it for two reasons. It is out of Health Tech Magazine and it was by Michael J. Hasselberg, who is an associate professor at the University of Rochester Medical Center. And the title, Fast Following Amazon to Patient-Centered Healthcare System. So this is another one of these University of Rochester guys. I've interviewed three of them now on the show. They're CMIO, an associate CMIO, and they're CNIO. They have a really great team, and I love what they're doing. So I'm a huge fan. I'm going to highlight a couple of these things, and I'm going to try to see if I can't get Michael to come on the show. Just another Rochester guy who's doing really cool stuff. So here's his article. It's just a few lines. Patient-centered care is the foundation of personalized medicine. Medicine in which the patient receives the right care at the right place at the right time. And this is some of the things that they're doing in that space. And he compares it to Amazon a lot. I'll spare you that part. We all know about the Amazonification of healthcare, but they're using consumer data to know their patients better and predict their needs and preferences. Starting in 2015, URMC implemented a patient, a, a wide-scale patient-reported outcome data collection process that to date has amassed more than 2.6 million electronically captured measures using their web-based platform. And so they're handing out tablets in their exam rooms and getting data from patients around biological, psychological, and social determinants of health. And I'm just thinking about how that might work. I love this. I'm thinking if I was going ready to go for a knee replacement, I would want to pick the doctor who has the best outcomes as measured by patients who say, I can now walk six months later. That's the outcome that means the most to me. And very rarely do we have that or even have the ability to analyze it or publish it. I love what these guys are doing in that space. And then they talk about the right place. At URMC, we're seeking to understand how social and other determinants impact our patients' lives and abilities to receive convenient care at the right place. They have geocoded the residential address of every patient receiving care in our system down to the block level. We have then aggregated our patient-reported information uh, along with uh, census data to provide map visualizations to inform the allocation of healthcare resources. So right now, if you want to go and help your, your strategy department, help them understand where to put the next clinic, street level data is really, really valuable. 
putting your clinics in the right place. Now we're looking at more of these asset light type deployments. You want to be able to put in place an office that is going to cost you as little as possible. You don't want to be building these huge brick and mortar things if, if you can, but you want to get the care close to the patient because if they have to leave their home, many of them will not want to, and they'll use telehealth, but those who do don't want to travel for 60 miles if they can avoid it, if there's something that's close. And perhaps that is a telehealth solution. They may be willing to drive somewhere where you've got a medical assistant and some telehealth equipment, and that could be a multi-specialty clinic, but obviously the specialists are located at your, at your hub. So I think it's really interesting that they have this data as CMIOs. We do want to know this so that we can help our providers understand where they should be uh, considering extending their offices. And finally, he talks about delivering care at the right time, goes on to talk about how they've got these risk calculators in the EMR and they use Epic and that they are predicting when a patient's health could be failing and then intervening, intervening with preventative care. Yes, we're all heading there. We have these algorithms. They are getting easier to implement. The algorithm is the easy part. The hard part, as we all know, is the operational piece that comes after the algorithm. Once you've identified that there's a patient who has the potential to have something wrong with them, but yet is fixable, and the algorithm tells you that, now you need that really great operational tool that's gonna to help you intervene. You need the nurses, the physicians, the care managers, whatever it is at your disposal that's going to turn the trajectory of that patient. And that's where we fall down. The algorithm, I think, is the, becoming the easier part. And I think I'll wrap it up there. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn and send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.